Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. And if you have your Bible, whether it's a paper copy or on a tablet or on a phone, I want to encourage you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be in two verses today. We have been in a series called Win the Day, and this is the climax of that series. And it all started with a simple question that my daughter asked me one day driving around. Being the wise person that she is, like her mother, she asked me, she said, Dad, if this is the day that Jesus was beaten and put on the cross, why do we call it Good Friday? And I thought, you know, for a seven-year-old, that's a real good question. In which my response to her was very simple. Well, honey, we call it Good Friday because we know the end of the story. You know, and I think most of us, if we were to be real honest, we showed up today in a lot of different concepts of our life. And we can celebrate Easter because we know the story of the empty tomb and that he's risen, right? But my question is... I wonder how many of us are selling ourselves short in our own life because we don't know the end of the story. Is there something about Resurrection Sunday that can teach us something a little bit more than just, woohoo, the tomb is empty and we can have salvation through the power of Christ? Is there something more that could be taught through this amazing point in history? Because if we're not careful, we can almost come across like telling a story and forget that it's an actual factual moment in time that changed everything. I think Winston Churchill put it this way, those who refuse to learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. And so I want us, if you will join with me on a journey, to go on a simple journey to learn A word that I've come across, we've been in this series called Win the Day. I read an amazing book by Mark Batterson. He's an amazing, amazing writer. He has his newest book called Win the Day, and I've already read it a couple of times. It's an amazing, amazing book, and I used that during this series to kind of launch into some different messages that we had. And one of the things that was in that book that has thrown me sideways is what I want us to talk about today. And it's called The Adjacent Possible. The adjacent possible. Now, for you to understand that, it's really not that hard. Because if you think about the word adjacent, you're going to think about probably geometry class or some sort of a math class. But if you you have a neighbor, that is the person that lives adjacent to your house or next to. There's some sort of a connection. And it's easy for me to explain this by simply looking at skyscrapers. And one particular person named Elijah Otis. Now, just hit the pause button. At the end, we're going to come back to what exactly that means. But before we do, I want us to dive into God's Word and really look into this aspect of an empty tomb. And is there something more that is to be celebrated today for you and I, more than just a way to salvation and a way to Christ? So can I pray? Lord, I thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you so much for getting to this point. Lord, it's astonishing You know, talking about celebrating the little things, the fact that some of us have made it to this room and what this room holds and everything that's taking place right now, if we were to be honest, is nothing short of miraculous. Lord, there's people like myself in this room that 
30 years ago, I'd have never imagined to be standing here. There's people that even a few weeks ago would probably have never imagined to be sitting where they're sitting right now. And Lord, because of that, can we dive into your word and allow you to speak to us in such a way that we leave here motivated and you're a catalyst in our life to go obtain life, even life more abundantly. Lord, may everything I say and everything in my heart be pleasing in your sight. And may everything today be about you and nothing else. Then we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles open, if you're on a tablet or on your phone, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us an amazing synopsis of what we know as Resurrection Sunday. Many people across our community, across this world, are going to be hearing of the Easter story. I want to kind of predate that because some of us have heard that story. And just like I told my, my daughter, because we know the end of the story, I want to talk about what does that mean for us. And I think Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, really set that up the best. I call this first part, if you're taking notes, therefore living. Therefore living. Because of the tomb, therefore we should live and have something that's a little bit more. That's this aspect of winning the day, right? If we're going to win the day, then there's got to be something a little bit more that we do. I'm going to chase a real quick rabbit. I think for some of us, one of the first things we need to realize is that the greatest point in life is not to get to death safely. Will you hear me when I say that? I think for some of us, the first thing we need to realize before we dive into God's Word is that the greatest point in life is not to simply to arrive at death safely. Sometimes you're going to have to take risks. Sometimes you're going to have to do something a little bit more. Sometimes you're going to have to do something that doesn't seem traditional. or in the, You're going to have to do something to make life more. Well, I call it therefore living. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, therefore. And what that is therefore is it's referring back to chapter 11. If you were to spend time reading Hebrews chapter 11, it would be this whole hall of faith, all these different people. Because of them and what they've done, they commended them. And in 12, it starts out, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Again, that's referring back to these Old Testament prophets, these people that have come before us. It says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which easily entangles. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I believe for us, there are three things that we've got to grasp to understand truly what the tomb, the empty tomb, Jesus' resurrection, means for us. The first thing that you should understand through this one particular scripture is the fact that, that there's an amazing cloud of witnesses that has went before you. You say, why is that important? Well, let me put it to you a simpler way. I don't know how great your life is right now, and I don't know if all hell's broken loose in your life right now. But here's what I will promise you. There's been somebody before you that's had the same experience. We have people before us that we can use as witnesses that whatever life is right now, you don't have to settle for what it currently is if that's not what you feel God wants for you and is his best. But in order to obtain that life, there's a few things that you're going to have to do. 
Just like these witnesses in chapter 11, when it talks about it, there's a few things that you are going to have to do. The three things are listed right there very simply. The first thing it says is, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us. Have you ever met a person that has a hard time letting go? All of my 17-year-old boys just raised their hand and said, yeah, it's my mom. Talk to her, pastor. She's killing me. But you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's kind of tough, right? If, when you get to be a teenage parent, you're going to realize that senior year is one of the hardest things because, like, they're screaming, hold me tight as you let me go. And you're like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Like, I, I want you to know I love you, but at the same time, I'm trying to let you go. And a lot of times, that's what we do with our life. Even though Christ has given us forgiveness from our sin, we have a hard time letting go of that. For some of us, I will use this table, I actually have a ball and chain in my truck. I have debated all week about bringing my ball and chain and linking it to my wrist or, or to my ankle. And the number one thing that kept me from that illustration was the fear of Coach Jackson and scratching this floor. But it's one of those things that, that they, it's like God gives us forgiveness, but we want to hang on to stuff, don't we? I mean, think about it. It's like me walking around and trying to preach to you, and I'm not going to let go of the table. And God says, you don't have to hold on to that. I know, but I'm comfortable. Like it gives me a barrier. It gives us something to talk about. Like as long as I hold on to this, then you ain't got to talk to me. Because what are you going to talk about? Why are you holding on to that table? What table? I don't have a table. You got a table. Well, don't talk about my table. I'm going to talk about your table. And that's what we do, Right? Like we talk about Jesus' death and resurrection and how it gives us freedom, but we turn around and we go live as if we're captive. To have a therefore life, you've got to learn to let some stuff go. You've got to learn to let some stuff go to the side. You've got to be able to say, you know what? This is going to be tough because my life's built around drama. And to lose the drama, I don't know what to really talk about. But in order for me to move forward in my life, you know what I got to do? I got to let go. And I love the way the scripture puts it. That sin that so closely and easily entangles. I love the fact to know that I'm normal. I love the fact to know that even these amazing people, the Moseses, the Abrahams, the Isaacs, King David, Paul, the disciples, the same things that I struggled with, guess what they struggle with? Like there's nothing new under the sun. In fact, the way Scripture puts it, look at these words, it's so good. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's plural. If you have a paper Bible, underline the word us. You know what that means? That means you've got problems and I've got problems. And they had problems. In fact, Let's have a little bit of freedom today. You ready? Look to the person on your right and say, dude, you got some problems. Go ahead. Now, don't let them do that to you. You look back at them and say, yeah, but you got some too. Like, when did we ever decide that a part of being in life was the fact that we got to act like we don't have any problems? When did we decide that we had everything was going to be okay? Some of you guys are married. Like, we're done with the problems. We're, we're done with that part of the message. You can quit talking about the problem. You know, so y'all, yeah, you do got some major problems. Like, we're going to talk about it later. I've been up here getting all the kids ready, getting lunch ready, getting everything ready. You, no. We've all got problems. 
In order to have a therefore life, you know what he said? And you need to learn to run. You know what I think the most of us, you know what our biggest issue is? We've got amazing, healthy, spiritual legs to run, but we want to act like we're in a chair. You want to act like the pastor that may be a little bit out of shape. Okay, that's an understatement. That's a whole lot out of shape. And you want to give all the reasons why you're not going to run. I will get there eventually. Why do I have to run? I'll give you a great example of why you have to run. Go find some people that don't have the ability to run. Go find some people that for whatever reason, their bodies are holding them captive. They're very capable people, but they have gotten something in their life, maybe their legs, maybe, and they don't have the ability to run. And you know what they would love to do? They would love to be you and be able to get up out of a chair and just take off running for a day. And though they would be out of shape, though they would be tired, you know what they would never stop doing? They would never stop running because they knew I've been wanting to do this all my life. But yet God gives us freedom. And we live like we're captive. God gives us the ability to run. And we walk around moping like there's been no change. We try to fake it. We try to act like everything's great. We try to act like we don't have any problems. We're like, hey, I got to keep up with the Joneses. I got to keep up with what they're doing. I got I to gotta have those vaulted ceilings. I got to have that certain car. I got to have, don't mishear me. I don't have any problem with stuff as long as you're running. But when you're chasing, that's the key, right? This race is not like a sprint, like, hey, I'm racing you to the finish line. If you were to look at this in the Greek, what it's actually talking about, listen, this is so cool. The reality is, is every one of us is chasing something. The race that it's referring to is not a race to a finish line. It's a race in the fact that we are chasing something to fill a void in our life. Every single one of us, Ecclesiastes talks about this. King Solomon says that God put a void in our heart. You have a mechanism in you that would make you pursue something more. If you're sitting here today and you're like me and you say, Mickey, there's got to be something more to life. There's got to be something. There's got to be more. Life talks about, I mean, Jesus in John chapter 10 talks about this life, this life more abundantly. There's got to be something more. There's a mechanism in you that God's saying, yes, there's something more. But listen to me. You're not going to get there if you're not willing to run. You say, well, Mickey, well, how do I do that? This ain't the first Easter service I've ever been at. This isn't the first time I've ever been in church. This isn't the first time somebody's ever encouraged me talking about what I could be because of, the, because of the cross, but not just the cross, but because of the resurrection. That sounds great, but how do I do it? How do I get started? Can I go to chapter 2 or verse 2? Very simple. Look at what he says. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. You can't run looking at everybody around you. I was at a softball practice the other day, and 
being my typical self, I am 47 years old, and as soon as you put something on me that makes me do athletics, I forget that I've eaten the old athletic self. And I start thinking that I can do all these things that I used to do. And being a, a person I am, I was going to joke around with all these guys on this softball, and I got in the back of the batter's box, and I just kind of, I've watched a lot of this fast-pitch softball. I'm intrigued, you know, how they do that little slap butt and take off running, and I'm just joking around, you know, and they don't know what I'm going to do. And, and they teach me this little soft pitch, and I go running, and boom, I'm going to take off running the first. I was amazing out of the box. About the third step, my front cleat caught the ground. It was like a sniper shot me from center field. Before I could realize I'm eating the dirt, I'm thinking, dear Jesus, I've just dislocated my shoulder. My pride is hurt. I'm trying to get up. I'm making sure I don't touch it. I'm kind of getting up like, okay, I'm not going to act like I'm hurt right now. And I, you know, I'm fine, man. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> oh, I, and meanwhile, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to die. But it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing because here's what happened. I was so intrigued with trying to be funny and looking at everybody that when I hit it, I was trying to look at their reaction rather than where I was going. And next thing you know, sniper, man down. And it's funny for me with a, with a slow pitch softball that doesn't really matter, right? But it's terrible for your life. Because your life does matter. Two things I want you to know. Number one, if you're down, do me a favor, get up. Everybody's falling. Get up. You can't win the day laying on the ground. And when you get up, do me a favor. Stop looking at everybody around you and start focusing and looking at Christ. Why? Because it says it, because he's the author and perfecter of your faith. There's nobody in your life that has the ability to do what Jesus has done. But yet we go to people looking for acceptance, looking for things. Here's the way I put it in my notes. Listen to this. Are you ready? Rather than focusing on all the things that you've done wrong, how about we start focusing on what Jesus did right? Rather than starting to focus on everybody else around us and what they're doing, like the social media, I'm not a big social media anti-guy. I love social media. I love everything about it. I know some of you guys are like, oh, that's terrible. Listen, it's okay. All right, it's really okay. But I do agree the fact that everybody, you know, it's, it's social media syndrome, right? Today, everybody's got an amazing Easter outfit. Everybody's coordinated. Everybody's got pictures. Everybody had a sunny morning. Everybody's great. Everybody also knows what it was like when you was trying to get the kids ready. You're not fooling anybody. I have five amazing kids with an amazing wife. I know what it was like when they were younger. Praise the Lord, they're old enough now to get themselves ready. It was like freedom I've never experienced before in my life. They can put their own clothes on. They're not whining that the, the sock on the end, that little seam, is driving them crazy. They can't wear this sock. You don't understand it. I'm going to lose my toe. My toe's about to fall off, Dad. This seam is cutting into me. One of you right now is looking at your That's exactly what he did this morning, isn't it? Mickey, how do you know that? Because everybody's running the same race. But what are we going to do about it? I think there's something amazing that this is the part that hit me the most when I was studying. The last part of chapter, or verse 2. Listen to what this says. 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of his faith. And listen to how he describes the cross and despising the shame. He said, who, for the joy that was set before him, for who, the joy that was set before him endured the Christ, the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is amazing. And if you were to talk to Jesus about crucifixion Friday, Good Friday, if you were to go and ask him the question that my daughter asked me, Jesus, why do they call it Good Friday? When you were on the cross, this amazing crucifixion, you need to Google later on and study the Roman crucifixion. There has never been nor will there ever be a more daunting death than the crucifixion from the Romans during this time. It was a brutal, brutal death. And when Jesus was getting whipped with a cat of nine tails, when he was getting spat on, when he was getting beaten, when he was carrying his cross, when he dropped to the ground and couldn't carry his cross, and they grabbed somebody to carry his cross, when he's being betrayed by his friends, when his disciples were asleep in the garden, when all that was going on, you know what Jesus was thinking? Man, this is joyful. You know why? Just because, just like we know the end of Jesus' story and knew he's going to raise on the third day, catch this. He knows the end of your story. See, the same thing that I told my daughter that we can make it Good Friday because we know how it ends. Jesus, in the middle of all this, he considered it joy. You know why? Because he knows how this ends. See, you're, you're a very dimensional person, and we have a hard time figuring this out because of the way time is set up, Right? But you need to know that there's never a point that Jesus wasn't already at the end of time knowing what's coming. The new heaven, the new earth, where he's going to usher in his people and they're going to celebrate with him for eternity. And they're going to talk to God and commune with God and worship God. And he knows that no matter how bad your life is right now, that because of what he did on the cross, knowing that the empty grave was coming, he had a way to make a way where there was no other way. See, that that I'm talking about, that's what we call the adjacent possible. L let me help you a little bit more. You ready? The adjacent possible is easy to remember because of skyscrapers. It started in New York City. The year was 1853, and there was a guy named Elijah Otis. And he did a stunt at the World Fair, the first time it was ever held in the United States, in New York City at the Crystal Palace. The year was 1853. This amazing building had been built. Otis was having a major issue. Mr. Otis was. The issue was is he was in the business of wanting to create elevators. But at that time, not too many people felt comfortable with elevators. Well, everything was booming, but all of the buildings that were being built in New York City would all stop around the fifth floor. Why wouldn't they go any higher? You ever tried to climb up five, steps of, uh, five flights of steps every day? Like, like the rent on the bottom level was extremely expensive. The fifth floor, hey, listen to me. You get those cheap. Why? Because you got to go up and down those steps. So, so Mr. Otis had an idea. At this amazing world fair where they're supposed to have this innovative, amazing time, he took an elevator platform. He hoisted it to the top of that exhibit hall. He had an axeman with an axe. He got everybody's attention, and he yelled to the axeman, Cut the rope. 
And with the axeman, hit the rope and the shaft started to fall and everybody gasped. And after about four feet, it stopped. And Mr. Otis said, ladies and gentlemen, everything is safe. See, Elijah Otis had invented a thing called the elevator safety brake. And the biggest issue that was going on during that time was the fact that nobody wanted to build up because it would be too hard to get up and down. And nobody wanted to ride on an elevator because they were worried to death that something would happen and this thing would break and you would fall to your death. And so he got on this platform to just, he took a risk, right? He got on this platform and he trusted what he had created. And he said, cut the rope, and he took a risk. He knew that, that the greatest part about life is just not getting to the end of life safely. Well, that was 1853. In 1854, he put in his first elevator in a building on Broadway that was 10 stories high. That sounds pretty cool, right? Let's continue. In 1900, and by 1890, there were then 10 buildings in New York City that were 10 stories high. By 1908, there were 65 buildings in New York City that were now 20 stories high. Nobody thought it was, they called it the race to the sky. It was during this time that you had these two people racing to build the Empire States Building and the Chrysler Building. The Chrysler Building had this little hidden gem because they had this spiral at the top and they would be the world's largest, tallest, building in the world for one day because right after the grand opening the great depression hit but otis's story didn't stop there because in 1908 538 buildings in 1908 538 buildings would be qualified as skyscrapers in new york city do you know as of right now at last count, let me read this. Right now, if you went to New York City, there would roughly be 58,000 elevators in New York City. See, Mr. Elijah Otis is also known for this company that he started that's called Otis Elevator Company. And they proclaim that the population of the world rides and accumulative on an elevator of his product around the world every three days. So when you go to these skyscrapers and you, you look at that, because now all of a sudden this, this top of the area, the top ones, everybody wants a, a view, right? Everybody wants to get the penthouse. And everybody does that. Why? Because there's these amazing elevators. But you know where it all started? The adjacent possible. It started with a safety break. If there wasn't somebody dreaming big enough to create this safety break on an elevator and demonstrate that and take a risk, nobody would ever went to the heights that they are. In fact, the largest building in the world is in Dubai. They say you can watch the sunset twice. You can literally stand on the ground floor, watch the sunset, go inside, jump on one of the 66 elevators, ride it to the top floor, and watch the sunset again because it's a half a mile tall in the sky. 160 stories. You say, Mickey, what's the point? 
Jesus' tomb is your adjacent possible. Through Christ, you can go to levels you never thought possible. Through Christ, you can go places you, ne- you can have views you never thought possible. You can do things that you never, like when Scripture talks about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What he's talking about is because of the tomb, now some things that used to not be possible because they're connected to Christ are now possible. But we still live like we're trapped. And I think today is a great day to accept what he's done for you. Can I say something very, very sincerely with all the love in my heart? You can win the day because Jesus already won it. He's already done everything that you need to do to accomplish anything that's in your heart or mind. You literally have the most amazing, adjacent, possible connection to your life if you will accept Christ's death and resurrection and allow him to be Lord and Savior of your life. But it's going to take you letting go. You know, I had a Freudian slip when the band was practicing the other day. We're getting ready to have a little bit of a time to celebrate who Christ is and what he means to us. And we're going to sing an amazing song that really talks about what this means, right? And it says, he turns graves into garden. And I I made the the comment the other day, I said, yeah, we're going to do that song, Gardens to Graves. And they were like, what? (laughs) What? That's kind of a weird Easter message. And in my Freudian slip, I joking around, tried to play it off. But you know what I realized? That's the biblical story, isn't it? God created everything and made it perfect. We call it the Garden of Eden. And what do we do? We turned it into a grave. But then Jesus turned around and took where dead bones lie. And he brought life because he conquered death. And he took death and a tomb and now turned it back into a garden. But it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen as long as you're going to keep doing things your way. I encourage you today to get to the top of the platform and let go of some of your safety measures and tell them to cut the rope. Tell them to let go. And watch and see if Jesus doesn't break you and save you and launch you into a life to have things that are so much more. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.